Well, we're going to return to our series through Philippians tonight by going to Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to thank Brother Tim Wells for filling in last week. Thank you, Brother. Good message on God's thoughts. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please do. And I just want to say what a blessing it is to have a church with preachers in it. To be able to leave and not have to be concerned whether or not things will be handled reverently or not is such a blessing. And it's wonderful to know we have some folks. And we have some men that are just as capable of not called to preach, but they'll get up and give you a, a talking to nonetheless. Amen? Amen. Um, if you're not at our men's prayer breakfast, you're missing it. Um, get some good stuff there. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin reading verses 1 through 11 again this week. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, you may recall we considered verses 1 and 2 last time. In verse 1, Paul rhetorically asked the question there, if there be any of these things. Knowing, of course, that those things are there for those who are in Christ, these attributes that he makes known. And by the way, that's what the Christian life ought to look like. Amen? Take that verse, apply it to your life, and see how you're doing. And knowing that these characteristics are intended to be the makeup of everyone who is in Christ, he then states in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy. Let my joy overflow. How is that going to be possible? Well, the text explains that it's in being unified. Amen. It's when we are unified together in Christ that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I don't think I have to convince you that there's joy in unity. (laughs) There's joy in your marriage when there is unity. Looking to see if there's any married people that are doubting me tonight. Amen. Um, You know, that newlywed that's never fought or anything like that. No, not you, brother, not you. Amen. Ben's still smiling, so that's good. Praise God. There's unity in the home, or there's joy in the home when there's unity amongst our our family members, right, our children. And likewise, listen, there's going to be joy in the church when we are unified. Unity is not something unattainable because God commands it. God expects there to be unity within the body of Christ. And here's the reason why. Because nothing will destroy a church quicker than disunity. The infightings that begin to take place. The divisions. We saw last time how Paul could see a lack of unity beginning to develop in this church. 
You can see that over in chapter 4 and verse 2 when he speaks about these two ladies that need to be of the same mind in the Lord. And he was seeing that there was disunity beginning to well up. And so he's kind of got this theme here, how we need to be unified. We saw it in chapter 1. We're seeing it again uh, tonight. But our joy and our effectiveness depends on us being unified. I don't want to re-preach last week's message, so I'm going to try to move on from that. But we got to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and being of one mind. So as we begin tonight, how do we become unified? Or how do we prevent from being divided once we have unity? Well, the answer is given in verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He says, let nothing be done. That's covering everything. (laughs) Let nothing be done. So as we serve God in our daily lives, as we serve God in our church, as we minister in the various capacities of our church, we are fulfilling all these different roles that is leading to this body being able to function because we're all different parts of the body, right? And it is causing this body to go forward to function He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now before I break this down a little bit, what will help us in this area is always remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ is our head. He's in charge of this church. He's the one that bled and died for it. And so we are to come under His submission, Him being the authority here. And if we'll keep that in mind, that Christ is our sacred head, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the congregation, but our Lord is in charge. When we understand that and we keep that truth before us, it helps us to serve for the right reasons and with the right attitude. Now, I hope you are serving with the hopes of being a blessing to others, but we ultimately serve each other regardless of what the response is because that's what God commands. Boy, if you can get a hold of that in your home, you'd be much better off. As we deal with marriages, we find that, well, I tried this and I tried this and I tried that, but he didn't change. Well, that's the problem. You're doing all those things because you're expecting a response. But what we need to learn to do is just do it because that's what God said to do. That's the same thing in our church, amen? That's why we do what we do, because God said so. Let nothing be done through strife. No matter the outcome, we ought to be honoring the Lord. Now, not having anything done through strife means don't be contentious. Don't resist others. In other words, don't do for one what you wouldn't do for another. You know, this side of the church just doesn't help this side of the church. (laughs) We're to help each other. But you see, the problem is, and as we think about this, really what we're talking about would let nothing be done through strife. It's talking about contentions. It's talking about factions. These different camps that begin to pop up in a church. And we're not to break into these other camps. Don't decide to be a blessing to one and not another. You don't snub another because they... You just don't like something about them. 
Because that's easy to do, isn't it? We all have stuff that we don't like about one another, I'm sure. Amen, Jared. He's likable, but, you know, he can probably find stuff about me. And so we don't want to snub other people simply because there's just something that's rubbing us the wrong way. What tends to happen is people don't... It's funny I mentioned Jared because he's got talent. People don't want to mention their talent because they're afraid they're going to be taken advantage of. Right? Well, people... Now everybody's going to ask me to do this. Well, I got news for you. That's ministry. Sometimes that's ministry. People will take advantage of you. But if God has blessed you with an ability in a certain area, then don't shy away from using that gift. But use it for the glory of God. So don't be guilty of just serving your own little group. We should want to be a blessing to all. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But what does it say next? As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. And so we ought to be helping one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That should be our desire. But when we decide to stop being a blessing to others because of factions, because somebody's not in our little circle, then we are being contentious. And we're doing things through strife. I don't think I'm at liberty to give the details, but I will tell you this much. I was just told of a situation where a pastor was now reopening his Sunday school department after COVID stuff. This was... Not in our area. So different states are definitely affected different ways. But anyway, he's reopening things back up. He gave instructions for how things were going to flow. But there was one Sunday school teacher who decided he wasn't getting enough time to teach his lesson. So he took it upon himself to take a vote within his class if they should continue with the lesson and be late for the main service, or just miss it altogether. If I remember correctly, the class never did show up in the main service. You see, that's an example of doing something within a church through strife. That Sunday school class just decided to go rogue. They were essentially demonstrating to the pastor that their little faction was more important than the whole body. Whether intended or not, there was a contentious attitude being displayed by the teacher against their pastor. I don't know why this just popped in my head, but I guess the Lord wants me to say it, even though it doesn't fit anything I'm saying right now. (laughs) But listen, if you're late all the time, you're saying your time is more valuable than the whole body. Things come up, I understand that. Some people are just habitually late. Proverbs 13, 10 tells us, only by pride cometh contention. So back to that example, I think it was prideful that the wishes of this one class would supersede the rest of the church. It was prideful to think that his lesson was to override what the pastor had labored to prepare for the entire flock. Well, the pastor rightly addressed the issue. But I bring you that example to tell you this. 
That's how quickly disunity can set in in a church. Something that may have seemed harmless can turn into, well, we like this little group over here better than the whole body. And the next thing you know, one week becomes two weeks. Two weeks becomes three and so on. And now you've got a two-headed monster. And we call that, or a two-headed body, we call that a monster. That's a problem. And, And just like that, in a situation, we can see where a church split can happen. Isn't that right? Just that quickly. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. In Acts chapter 15, Paul, he's ready to head back out on another missionary journey. He had reported back and he tells Barnabas, let's, let's go. Barnabas says, let's take along John Mark. Paul didn't like the idea. John Mark had left them while they were on their first missionary journey. The Bible says in Acts 15.39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And so we see just how quickly things can escalate between two brothers in Christ from the same church. They were both out of Antioch. Now there's a contention so sharp that they actually part ways. And that's just how it can happen. Prideful people take issues and they blow them up into big issues. You ever had somebody come to you with something and you just want to say, it's not that big of a deal. Just take a deep breath. We're going to get through it. Amen. But that's what prideful people do. God wants us to walk in unity. People need to be able to come into this church body and sense the love and unity that we have for one another. And I thank God for the testimony we heard tonight. Amen. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. And I really appreciate your words, brother. Don't take it for granted. Don't get used to just coming in here and having what we have every week. But they need to come in. They need to understand that there's something different. They need to come in and go, you know, this isn't like other churches I've been to. They actually like each other. If I didn't know any better, I'd say they actually love their pastor. There's a novel thought. Amen, Lisa? 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 through says... If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Do you hear what it said? When somebody comes in with a bad spirit, sowing discord among the brethren, trying to get a little faction over here saying, this is why your pastor is wrong. 
this is why this, this brother over here is dumb. What's the Bible say? Withdraw yourself from that. Now, I don't know that he would want me to say anything, but brother, didn't that happen down there just recently? Somebody came in, stirring up, up a bunch of mess. You know what the pastor ought to do? Get your stuff and go. Come on now, that's an amen statement. Because when somebody comes in here wanting to start so, so discord and cause disunity, we ought to just perk up at that. And honestly, it should be at the point where the folks are the ones saying, don't let the door hit you. Now you know my heart. I want to minister to as many people as we can. Why wouldn't we want to do that? But there does come a point. And so Paul here, he's talking about unity. He says, let nothing be done through strife. Don't let anybody in that's contentious. I've had to deal with it. Thankfully, it's been on the down low, amen? I haven't had what this dear brother had to deal with. Someone who comes into a spiritual church seeking to use carnal tactics like speaking against others, tearing down others to lift themselves up, Seeking to cause division. Listen now, I want you to get this. They ought to feel out of place in a spiritual fellowship. They ought to. Because what ought to happen is they ought to come in and they ought to say something negative and then realize, ain't nobody talking back to me. Nobody's, nobody's agreeing. How come nobody's playing along with this? It ought to be foreign to them, I guess is what I'm saying. And so we're told, withdraw thyself. Don't hang around those that seek to divide the body. Don't even play along, listen, don't even play along with the statement. Because that's what we tend to do because we don't want to be the one to have to confront them. Amen. A lot of us don't really like confrontation. I'm pretty laid back. I wouldn't mind just no drama for about a little bit. Amen. Don't even play along with a divisive statement or the spirit. Don't even agree with another one's statement. I'm not saying you've got to be ugly. You can leave that to me. But you do have to be willing to say, uh-uh. you got to be able to tell them, we stand on this King James Bible. Well, amen. There's got to be harmony within a church. Not different camps and factions. And what we all need to say is, I'm of Christ. Some say I'm of Paulus, Cephas, and Paul. No, you just bottom line it and say, we're of Christ here. Amen. And that's, that's how it's got to be. Don't follow any other person to the detriment of the church body. I think this becomes more important in the day in which we live. Now you can just be click happy on YouTube and get all kind of knowledge. But it's a zeal without knowledge, really. Anyway, I'll start preaching that. And brother, he's about to get me to have a storm coming up. Amen. Ah, I love it. Now, look, we see next, nothing's to be done through vain glory. I don't sense a contentious spirit here. Um, I don't know if anybody has vain glory. You say, what's vain glory? Vain glory is when you care about getting the attention. Yeah. 
It's when you want the glory for what's being done. It is self-conceit. This is you being concerned with your own self-promotion and who gets the credit. And I know from at least one's own personal admission, I'm not knocking, I'm just giving a testimony I've heard, that I struggle with this because I'm used to being the one who is given all the clout. But I don't have that here. So because I want vain glory, I'll go to other churches in order to get that glory. Well, Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory. Proverbs 26.12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than him. The Bible is full of all these kind of verses, and it made me believe that perhaps this is a problem in churches. Yes. <laughs> At least it could be, amen? All the vainglory people went, no. You know, some people... They do it for the recognition, but other people will do it reluctantly because in the back of their mind they're thinking, well, I better get a thank you out of this. Somebody better recognize me. Vain glory people are those who get ruffled when someone else gets thanked and they feel they should have been thanked. Did you catch what I had to do Sunday? For anybody involved, thank you i got to cover all my bases, amen? If I, if I say thank you to one person, somebody's going to be offended if they get left out. That's vainglory. So why do you do what you do here? Listen, this is our Wednesday night faithful. I know almost all of you are serving in some capacity in some area. Thank God for that. Our church is very heavily involved. And, and it's very eye-opening when you begin to look at how many are serving. And, and I have to ask, though, why are you doing what you do? Is it for vainglory? Is it to be known or to be seen of men? In the back of your mind, are you hoping to be considered great among the brethren? Hang around preachers long enough and you'll learn that none of them are great. Listen, the closer you get to men, the more you see their faults. The closer you get to Christ, the more you realize He's perfect. So put your focus where it ought to be. And so this idea of being great among the brethren, this was one of the many issues that Jesus was dealing with when He showed up among the Pharisees and the scribes. They wanted the attention. They wanted to have all this glory. Jesus said, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They love the uppermost rooms of the feast, the chief seats in the synagogues, greetings in the market to be called of men, rabbi, Rabbi, but be not ye called rabbi, Jesus said. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Jesus would say they would make these long prayers just to put on a show for men, for all to see and to hear. You ever seen that guy? You want to say, hey buddy, the message has already been preached tonight. Listen, you'll know if it's spirit-filled or not. Because when it's spirit-filled, you ain't thinking about that. But anyway, <laughs> They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke 16, 15, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men 
Get this now. It is an abomination in the sight of God. Wow. Abominable. But I want you to understand tonight, it wasn't just the religious Pharisees that had this issue. You understand the disciples had this issue. Albeit they had a slightly different angle. The Pharisees were more concerned about all the glory now. They were worried about all the glory up there. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, Lord? Right? Vain glory. Here's what the Bible says. Let me read it to you because it fits so well. Luke 22, 24. And there was also strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? And it wasn't just on that occasion before Jesus was going to be betrayed. It happened that night. But listen, it happened earlier in Jesus' ministry. In Luke 9.46 it says, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? But do you remember how Jesus dealt with this? Jesus told them in Luke 9.47 and 48, And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. And I bet at that time they're kind of scratching their heads. And then Jesus says this, For he that is least among you, the same shall be great. Jesus said, look, y'all are all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I'll tell you how you're the greatest. You've got to be the least. Right. <laughs> it's one of the Christian paradoxes, isn't it? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to become the least among all. And I've said this before, but when I used to teach the teens, I would tell them, until you become nothing, you'll never become something for God. Because it's not about us. And if the disciples had this issue, then we ought to be able to admit that we can be vulnerable to this issue of vainglory as well. It can infiltrate the church. One way Jesus addressed that it can infiltrate the church is through this braggadocious giving. Yeah. Right? Remember he talked about the alms. He said, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. <laughs> Could you imagine that going to the box back there to give? <laughs> Don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You say, what's their reward? Their reward was the praise of men. And what's that going to get you in eternity? Nothing. John addressed those who like to be in charge because they like the attention. He wrote in 3 John verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Now, I got to thinking about this. This is John the Beloved. Now, if, if all the traditional dates are somewhat correct, John would have written that epistle in 90 A.D. If that's true, here's a man that had been walking with God for some 60 years. He literally walked with Jesus. He says, let me tell you about somebody that I eyes have seen and my hands have handled the Word of... Listen, we can become so guilty of vainglory that we might even stiff arm those that are walking with God. I mean, here's John, John the Beloved. Sorry, I want the preeminence here. He was so fond of being the one with distinction 
that he didn't even want the Apostle John in his church. That blows my mind. Can you imagine being that prideful that you wouldn't even welcome in a man who literally walked with Christ? Sure you can. You can imagine that. I know you can because we see it in our own stripe of churches. I have found that Baptist preachers are some of the most critical people you'll ever meet of other Baptist preachers. If someone's not in their little camp, then they don't want anything to do with them. And brother, is it any reason we're not seeing revival? We're too busy with contentions within that we're not fighting the enemy in spiritual high places. The Bible is clear that only Christ is to be at the forefront of our church. Colossians 1.18 says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Not Diotrephes, right? Not the pastor, not some deacon, not anything like that. But Christ is to be the one with the preeminence. And it isn't just a preacher problem. How about those that only sing to be heard of men? Now our church is very blessed to have some talented people, amen? Players and singers and so forth. But I'm sure all of you, those who have been in this church long enough, you have seen those who magically showed up the day they were supposed to sing. Where have you been of late? Oh, I see now that you're on the schedule, you're here. Vain glory. And you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. You can't let that thing go on. You can tell when the heart is wrong in the singer because there is no Spirit of God on it. And that goes for any ministry that we do. If you only show up when it's time to fulfill your little area of ministry, but you are absent in all of our other services, you're not ready to be in ministry. And we'll have to make some adjustments along the way in your serving because all you're really doing is serving in your flesh. So I wonder if there's any among us who are causing strife or only serving for vain glory. I want you to understand the significance of these two issues, just how important they are and how bad they can take a church if they are allowed in. James, listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So if you happen to be one that is causing strife or is dealing with vain glory, you're going to cause all kinds of problems for the church. Why? Because it's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. It's evil. It is not of the Spirit. And as we've already heard earlier tonight, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So what's the remedy? If we have those problems, what's the remedy? Or if we don't have those problems, how do we keep from letting those become problems? Well, remember in verse 1 that one of the four things that Paul mentions there, he talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. Listen, as a church, there's not going to be issues when all of us walk in the Spirit. Somebody said there's no perfect church. I understand that, but if all of us walked in the Spirit who is perfect, maybe we could give a different testimony. Galatians 5, 24 through 26. I already read verse 26, but here's what it said beforehand. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. John 7, 18, Jesus said, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, or seeks God's glory, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So when we walk in the Spirit and we're seeking the glory of God instead of our own glory, then Paul goes on to say in the rest of verse 3 here, that in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The first half of verse 3 is all pride. Well, the second half is the opposite of that, and it's all humility. Proverbs 15.33 and Proverbs 18.12 both tell us, before honor, there is humility. So if there is this idea of, of getting something, you only need to look to God for it. Amen. Don't look to men, but look to please God. And before that honor, there is humility. And we have to learn to humble ourselves. Paul said in Acts 20, 19, that we are to serve the Lord with all Humility of mind. You see, the battlefield's the mind. Somebody says they got a big head. What do they mean? They're conceited. Amen? Somebody that can't even walk through the door. Listen to what the Pharisee did. He stood and he prayed thus within himself. Listen to what he thought about himself. God, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Could you imagine the public? <laughs> or even as this publican. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So we've got to be humble people, and when we're humble, we'll esteem other better than ourselves. When I find myself frustrated with another, I know that's hard to believe, I always try to remind myself that I have my own problems. And this will help you immensely, at least it helps me. And I have to realize, you know what? I'm just seeing one of their problems. They probably see stuff in me, and I know there's stuff that they don't see. And when we remind ourselves that, wait a minute, I'm no better than anybody else. It's going to help us to realize that in reality what we're doing is we're all just battling different issues. Before you think to exalt yourself, remember what you really are apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, you're nothing. And we're still battling this flesh, at least I am. We ought to have a trajectory that is improving, but we live in this flesh, and we, we battle this thing. And so before we lash out, in strife and contentions, because really what we're wanting is vainglory that they shouldn't have said that to me because I'm too good. And so we've got to be careful about this thing. We've got to be humble people. We ought not to think ourselves so much better that everybody else ought to be up to my level. And if they're not, it just shows how shallow they really are in their Christianity. Because I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I have. Isn't that what the Pharisee said? Something like that? Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth 
Take heed lest he fall. Now, to esteem means to value. And so when it talks about esteeming others, it, it, it means we are valuing others above us. Sometimes this is like where the Christian life gets real. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you want me to value that one? Amen. Everybody's acting like nobody rubs me the wrong way. Right. Right. No one is exempt from this principle. He continues in verse 4, Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. i got to hurry. This isn't talking about being busy, nosy people. But don't look for your own interests, but place the interests of others above your own. And again, this isn't even talking about, well, you know, I was going to provide for my family, but no. We're talking about in church matters here, as, as it goes, um, helping the brethren, yes. Use some common sense. But we're not being nosy. We're just looking out for others. Jesus said in Luke 6, 30 and 31, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. I think somebody said that's the golden rule or something. I don't know. Do they even teach that anymore? Paul put it this way in referring to Jesus' words there. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And you see, once we learn to start putting others above our own interests, we'll learn that there are blessings greater than what the world can give us. Well, all that we do in the church is to first honor Christ. And then it's to be for the good of others. And so I just want to challenge you on this note. If, if you're not involved around here, get involved. Because God didn't send you here just to sit out there and hear. You see, well, I'm still growing. You can still serve while you're growing. We have plenty of stuff that can be done at the remedial level if you want to look at it that way. So I just want to challenge you, look, get involved. Start serving. Don't just attend, but find a way to serve God. Help us row the ship that God has given us for His glory. You know, sometimes that's what ministry means. It means to row, be an under oarsman, and to row that ship. Now, I've already said, I don't sense that there's major issues around here. But I can't see the heart. And so I don't know if there's some strife lingering down. I don't know if there's some vain glory that's down there. Only you and God may know. But if there is some area that you need to get right, then get it right as soon as possible. Don't delay on this because it affects the church. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace unto the humble. So let's be joyfully united in all that we do. Let's honor Christ. Let's esteem others better than ourselves. And then we'll watch as God blesses. Just got to stay with it. Let's bow for prayer.